0: Good afternoon. Come on, welcome to our breakout session on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Excited that you guys are here. My name is Anthony Saladino. I'm the director at Virginia Tech, and thank you. And <laughs> thanks. And and Radford University as well. And uh, just an honor and a privilege to be with you. My wife and I and our four kids have been at that campus for 15 years. Uh, so just, just translation, old, is really what that means. You're old. And uh, I have truly considered uh, this such a privilege and an honor to come talk to you about what I would consider something that is critical to our day and age in the life of the church you see, when I started at Virginia Tech, I, I had to attend these meetings. They were interfaith council meetings, and so I'd go and I'd sit in these meetings with uh, people from other fa- other uh, directors of other fellowships, and there was rabbis, Jewish rabbis in there. There was uh, the Baha'i leader. There was the Muslim uh, leaders, and, and and we would have these meetings, and to be honest, it kind of felt like a waste of time, but... On two different occasions, I was leaving the meeting and someone grabbed my shoulder and said, hey, can I talk to you for a moment? I said, sure. And this was a a follower of Jesus, a fellow follower of Jesus, a director of another campus ministry. On both occasions, it was somebody from a different fellowship. And they asked me this question. They said, hey, we've heard you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you have to understand, in that setting, I, I'm I'm not sure how to respond, right? Not because I don't, it's not an emphatic yes. It's a like, why are you asking me this question? Does that make sense? And I said, yes, I do. The next question blew my mind. And it was this, where do you get that? Where... Do you get this? So if you think I was like a little bit concerned on the first question, you better believe I'm a whole lot concerned on the second question because you're like, what do you mean where do I get that? And the reason why is because I'm racing through my mind on all of the things that that I know to believe. And I'm not a theologian. I'm not a scholar. But I know where people, what scripture people use to say that the gifts are not for today. Does that make sense? And so I'm like, in that moment, in that split second, wondering, how do I respond to this person? Because I also am brand new to campus. I would like to have some friends. You know what I'm saying? And so I said, well, yes, I do believe, and I actually get it from the Bible. And what we're going to journey through this afternoon is I'm going to share with you what I've shared with them. Is that cool? But I also understand that those men have given their life to Jesus to do the very thing that I've given my life to Jesus to do. And that is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And we are on the most strategic mission field in all the world. And so these are brothers. These are co-laborers of mine. And yet, so, so what does that mean? We read the same Bible and come to two very different conclusions. So I want you to know that I I come humbly before you, understanding that there are people in this room that are sitting in these chairs that you may come from a background that does not agree with what we're about to to do, what what the Scripture says here. And when we grow up in a, a denomination or a church that either speaks against the Holy Spirit or against tongues or the gifts of the Spirit, or we come from a a denomination that doesn't speak much of the Holy Spirit or much of the gifts, we actually have and develop a preset position on where we stand. And so when we read Scripture, we're filtering it through a lens that we may not even be aware that we have. Are you following me? And it's like some of you understand. You've read the, the story of the Good Samaritan so many times, but there was some new stuff you received today, wasn't there? Right? And so, as we we come today, I just want you to understand, let me also say this, I agree with Dick Brogdon, he says that he is Pentecostal by necessity, not by choice. And, And as we dive through the scripture I I hope we answer a few questions, and that is, is there biblical evidence for a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit? What is the physical evidence of the Holy Spirit, and why is that important for us today? That's where I want to journey with us, and so let's just pray real quick. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for the Word of God. God, I thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to come, and I myself stand here today and say, God, I don't want any preset position to guide me. I want the Holy Spirit and the scriptures to guide our time today. God, that faith would arise. And that an army of young men and women filled with the power of the Holy Spirit would leave this room, seeing people ripped out of hell on their campuses, coming to know the one true God, Jesus Christ. And so, God, we just ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 through 27. It says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Where? Within and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within, where? Within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is a prophetic utterance of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, when I came to know Christ, I had, I had grown up in the church I had known all the stories. I could tell you, you know, all the famous stories. But what I didn't know was I didn't personally know Jesus Christ. And on my college campus as an athlete, there were many things that I tried to stop doing, but could not in my own strength. I could not. I, I wanted I wanted to, not because, like, deep down inside, that was my desire, but I knew it, that I shouldn't be doing these things, right? And so like, man, I've got to stop. I've got to stop. I've got to stop, but I couldn't do it. And then I went on a semester exchange program to the University of Montana. I met these amazing people in this community called Chi Alpha, and I walked into a service, and I encountered the living God so powerfully that when I, by the time I got to the front, I, I knew Jesus is real. I had already heard his voice. I had experienced his presence. There was 30 students worshiping Jesus out of their seat at the altar, right? And this girl brings me up, and I'm in the middle of them. I'm on my face crying out, why? Because I have heard the voice of God. I know God is real. And so I surrender my life to Jesus for the first time as a 21-year-old, on my face, You know, snotting it up, crying, and God delivered me from every addiction in my life. Alcohol, sex, all of it, right? God just, man, is so powerful. But you know what happened that moment? The Spirit of God came to live inside of me. The indwelling of the Spirit. When I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, when I believed on the one, Who died for me and rose again, and I asked him to forgive my sins and come into my life, the Spirit of the Living God came to dwell inside of me. And you know what happened? I started walking differently. In fact, I desired his presence for the first time, which I didn't desire before. It went from trying to stop to do something to delighting in wanting to walk in the ways of God. and It is amazing, when you read a passage of scripture, this experience that I had, this way that Jesus changed my life, to then go back and read scripture and be like, whoa! That happened in my life! We have to start with the indwelling if we're ever going to come to conclusion that in scripture there's a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit. But let me just say something. A lot of people say Pentecostals, they're just emotional people. They're just caught up in feeling. Listen, as a Pentecostal, I'm a man of emotion and I have feeling. But let me tell you something. Emotions come and go, even in Pentecostal's lives. And if we don't stand on the word of God, then we will not stand very long. But let me make this argument if I only believe what I see, I won't believe very much. If my faith is only determined by what I see or what I don't see, I won't believe very much. I'm telling you right now, I believe Jesus raises the dead. I've yet to see Jesus raise the dead. I believe Jesus heals the lame. I've yet to see a man in a wheelchair, get up and walk. Why do I believe that? Because the word of God shows me that there's a God who does that. You follow me? And so I've got to be able to stand on the word of God. I have a wife right now. She's got three herniated discs. I believe God heals. I've been healed of cancer myself. He's not yet moved, but I'm going to stand on the word of God and not let what I don't see or what I do see change what I know to be true. Ephesians 1 Verse 13 and 14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, and were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This word believed means to place confidence in, to be persuaded of, to place confidence in Jesus To be persuaded of Jesus. The word seals means to set a seal upon, a seal of ownership, pointing to or guaranteeing our inheritance. So this is important. Why? Because when we believed, it's showing when this happened, this seal, we were sealed when we believed. When did it happen? When we believed. This is important for us to understand that Scripture affirms that at the moment of of conversion that the Spirit of God comes to take up residency in our heart and in our life. Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. How do we know we're in the Spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in us? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. If you're taking notes, get ready. The word dwells, means, dwells, means lives in you. It's in you, right? Like, this is how we know we belong to Jesus, that the Spirit of God is in us. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The word temple, in the classical Greek, it is used of the sanctuary or cell of the temple where the image of God was placed, which is distinguished from the whole enclosure. This is important for us to understand. that. And although this passage of Scripture is in the context of sexual immorality, we confirm here that since we were bought with a price, the life of Christ, our bodies are not our own. We belong to God. And in fact, we have become the temple in which God's spirit lives. Come on. That the spirit of the living God dwells in you. This is another why, reason why I believe we should walk differently. Because of what, is, what is inside of us is so, so precious. I like the example that Watchman Nee gives, like if you were walking around this city with 50 cents in your pocket, it wouldn't change anything about you. You probably wouldn't even pay attention to the 50 cents, but you got a million dollars in your pocket. You're going to walk around the city like this. Right. Why? Because you're going to guard <laughs> that money. Nobody carries around that kind of money. But you know what I'm saying? It's, the point is this, like we walk differently. Why? Because of the, the value and the preciousness of what God has given us, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For 2 Timothy 1.14 says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Galatians 4.6, And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It is from these scriptures, and not that this is the totality of, but that this is a glimpse. I spent time understanding that as followers of Jesus, every Christian has the indwelling of the Spirit. And only when we come to have that basis of understanding what the Bible teaches about a believer having the Spirit dwelling in us, can we come to the conclusion that there is a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit. Now we can move on. You ready? You guys with me? like this guy's just yelling at me. I'm just excited. Acts 8:14 8, through 18. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. The word receive here means to take hold of. To take hold of. That they had received the word of God means that they had taken hold of. So you have to ask yourself the question, are these Samaritan believers, are these Samaritans already believers? Are these Samaritans already believers? Yes. Yes, they received the word of God and they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we understand to be a public profession of a decision we've already made on the inside. Are you following me? So even as we move down through chapter 8, we see in verse 36 and 37, now as they went down the road, they came to some water and a eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart you may and he answered and he said I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God See, water baptism is a public declaration of a decision we've already made. We're identifying with him in his death and being resurrected to do life, that that these guys were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, that they were already believers, yet the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them. Then get this, that this journey from Jerusalem to Samaria was a 22-hour walk, that the early church felt like this was so important that they would take... um, is a Peter and John, and they would send them on a 22 hour journey to pray for these guys, to lay hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because he had not yet come on them. Come on. I know you're all like, sign me up. I want a 22 hour walk. You're like, I won't even walk across the hall to pray for my neighbor. If the early church valued it that much, may we we begin to value the Holy Spirit. David Gutzick, a Bible commentator, who doesn't really lean towards the Pentecostal theology, says this, Obviously, there was a subsequent experience with the Holy Spirit that these Samaritan believers did not know until the apostles came and ministered to them. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We know that these 120 men and women were already believers, and this is what Peter says. What happens here? He quotes Joel 2, 28 through 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men's will dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. It's interesting that Peter emphasizes that this gift of the Holy Spirit is universal in status, not geographical or chronological. It is for the young young as well as the old, for the female as well as the male, for slaves as well as the free. The prophetic gift of the Spirit that was restricted and specifically called out and endowed charismatic leaders in the Old Testament is now indeed maybe as universal as the gift of grace. Peter did not quote Ezekiel. 36, 24 through 27, which we read earlier, that was a prophetic utterance of the indwelling. Let me just share this quote. This this prophecy focused on the internal aspect. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. God will be a surgeon. I will put my spirit in you. It is the dynamic of the Holy Spirit that will bring about a person truly knowing God in his heart and nature and walk according to it thank you this passage was focused on indwelling the indwelling of the believer yeah you can give her a hand that was really sweet of you now my problem is not spilling it and preaching awesome the argument here is that acts, what happens in Acts chapter 2 is actually the indwelling and not a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit. But in John chapter 20, verse 22, it says, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Arthur W. Pink, in Exposition of the Gospel of John, says this. The Greek word here, in John 20, 22, the Greek word here used is employed nowhere else in the New Testament, but is the very one used in the t- Septuagint Translation of Genesis 2, verse 7. The Septuagint Translation is the Greek translation of the New Testament, from Hebrew to Greek. And the Lord, Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There, man's original creation was completed by this act of God. Who then can fail to see that here in John 20, on the day of the Savior's resurrection, the new creation had begun, begun by the head of the new creation, the last Adam, acting as a quickening spirit. God gave them life. He breathed into them in Genesis chapter 2. And what man lost in the garden, how did he die when he sinned? He didn't die physically. He died spiritually. Right? He died spiritually. He lost something in that moment. Here, Jesus breathes into his disciples. Receive. Present tense. Some argue that it's a prophetic present tense, and in other words that they would receive it in the future, and other scholars believe it, it it is a now word that they received in that moment. Why do I bring that up? If there's some ambiguity there, because I just think it's interesting. I think it's important for you to know, as a student of the Word of God. I'm not a scholar, but I think it's important for us to understand that there is there is evidence in the Scripture. Acts 19, one through six says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? First of all, can I ask you a question? How many of you have been asked that question? When you you raise your hand for salvation, someone run up to you and go, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? One. I think it's interesting right, that that's not a normal follow-up question. But Paul, he wants to know. And not only does he want to know, he expects them to know the answer. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Were these guys believers before they received the Holy Spirit? They were baptized in water, publicly professing their faith. Then Paul laid their hands on them. When do we believe? At the moment, of conversion. I mean, when does the spirit come to indwell us? At the moment of conversion. I also want you to understand that here in this moment, this story is happening 24 years after the day of Pentecost. Think about that for a moment. You see, when we read scripture, we just all clump it in, like because it's right after one another. And Paul, 24 years later, after the day of Pentecost, walks up to a group of guys and says, yo, did you uh, receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They're like, we did not know there was a Holy Spirit. And isn't that where the church is today? Oh, we didn't even know. And then because he's supernatural, we're like, Mmm, let me, let, me, let, me, let me remain at a distance because I don't understand It wouldn't be supernatural if we could completely understand. It was so important to Paul, the man who's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write most of the New Testament, to ask this question, friends, may be important and valued by the church today. The work and the power of the Holy Spirit I think it's also interesting that Paul makes this point and, and, and expects them to know the answer. I believe if we don't have a, a really good healthy theology of, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then we can go around just believing because we have an encounter with God that we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But did you know that there are certain things that are surrounding Scripture that point to the reality of someone receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit? not just shaking, not just crying, not just laughing, not just, but there's some, there's more evidence. And I believe God wants you to know when you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is my belief that you will walk in greater confidence when you know the answer. When we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and things begin to change from the inside out. We grow in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. We are given a new heart and things begin to change how we think about things. We We live no longer to please ourselves, but to please the Heavenly Father, to worship Him, to honor Him. It is by his spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We don't go around guessing that there is an assurance that we have because of the spirit crying out that we are children of God. Neither does God want you to go around guessing. Have you been empowered? by the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting that Jesus, on the day that he ascended, he gives his disciples an order. And he says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, and while they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want you to think about this. We'll get into this a little bit more in a minute. But Jesus did not start his earthly ministry until the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove at his water baptism where Father speaks from heaven. This is my son, whom i well pleased. He had at times sent his disciples out in the power of the Spirit, in his authority To heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now he's about to ascend, no longer to be with them on earth in the flesh. And he doesn't want them to to do any ministry until they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I find that interesting. So I want us to take a moment and I want us to look really quickly. This won't take long. At the five different moments where the Holy Spirit comes upon people and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit and just see if we see some um some some common things. So Acts chapter 2, I think there's a little chart. Uh there there you go, right? So here's the scripture to the left. Here's what happens. Um In Acts chapter two, we've already read it. There are supernatural sounds. You guys remember the sound of a mighty rushing wind. I want you, I need to point this out to you because sometimes we just read things and don't realize it's not that wind blew through and papers were blowing and hair was blowing all over the place. No, it says the sound of a mighty rushing wind, which means there's a supernatural sound that is being stirred up in the room. And then they have a supernatural sight. These tongues of fire come to rest upon their head, right? So they're hearing something supernatural and they're seeing something supernatural. And then all of a sudden, a supernatural language begins to erupt in and through all 120 of them. Tongues of fire. The supernatural language, which again is a fulfillment of a prophetic utterance from John the Baptist. Acts chapter 8, we've already read it. We know this, that that when they received the word of God, they were believers. Then they sent Peter and John down to lay hands on them, to bat- baptize them in the Holy Spirit, to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. In that account, though, Simon, who was a sorcerer, someone that it says he would wow the people with his uh, divination. Think about that for a second. This guy would wow the people. And now he sees Peter and John lay his hands on these Samaritan believers, and they receive the, the Holy Spirit, and something physical happens that Simon wants to buy that power. You guys know the story? Right? This is somebody who was versed with demonic supernatural power, but then he sees the power of the living God, and something physical happens, and he's like, I got to have it. How much? And then they rebuke him. So we do, that's all we know is that he sees something. We don't know what it is. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. This is where Paul <coughs> is baptized in the Holy Spirit. You guys know the story. He's on the road to Damascus. Jesus shows up on the road. He falls off his horse. He's now blind. Why are you persecuting me? And he goes into Damascus. They lead him. He's still blind. He's then there, you know, resting, and Ananias gets a word from the Lord to go and to lay his hands on him and baptize and, and pray for him to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Ananias is like, whoa, this guy kills Christians. And Jesus is like, just go. And so he goes. He greets him and he says, brother Saul. Why would he say brother Saul? Because something happened on that road to Damascus when he had an encounter with the living God. And he's no longer an enemy, but a brother. And he prays for him and it says that scales fall off his eyes and he can see. And then he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. Again, all we see is that something falls off his eyes. But we know this in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, that Paul says he speaks in tongues more than all of the Corinthian church combined. Okay. I want you to understand this. What he's saying there is not that I speak in tongues more than you and more than you. No, he's saying, if you were to take the amount of time that all of you spend speaking in tongues, I speak in tongues more than all of you. What a prideful thing to say. No, he's making a point. They were so out of control with speaking in tongues in the corporate setting. But the point is this. Although we don't see it here, we know that Paul speaks in tongues more than the entire Christian church, uh, the Corinthian church that is way out of control with speaking in tongues. He also is the one that God used to pen do not forbid speaking in tongues. He's also the one that penned In a public setting, I would rather prophesy than speak in tongues, implying that he's a man that prays in the prayer language in the secret place. Acts chapter 10. The Jewish believers were astonished that the Gentiles had received the gift of the Holy Spirit because the word says they heard them speaking in tongues. The evidence for the Jewish believers to see the Gentile believers receive that baptism of the Spirit in Scripture is that they heard them speaking in tongues. Zach, they spoke in tongues, and they were praising God. In chapter, In chapter 10, in chapter 19, Paul placed their hands on them, the new believers, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues, and they prophesied. So five occasions, three times with the evidence of speaking in tongues, In Acts chapter 8, we're unsure of what Simon saw, but he saw something he wanted to purchase. In Acts chapter 9, we know that Paul speaks in tongues, apparently more than the Corinthian church. The one thing that we see to be consistent in these five accounts is that speaking in tongues. Right? Nothing else really repeats itself. So the norm in Scripture is that the physical evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Why tongues? Thanks for asking. 1 Corinthians 14.4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. This makes the gift of tongues unique able to intercede when we don't know what to pray, Romans 8:26 through27. Speaking in tongues is a form of praise and thanksgiving. First Corinthians 14:15 through 17. James chapter three, we see that the tongue is evil, and no human being can tame the tongue. Our speech, even as believers, can cause damage to those around us in our own lives. It is amazing to think that God would give us divinely inspired speech, that he would fill our mouths with praise and thanksgiving as also interesting that the Christian faith is to be talked about. This is how we make disciples. This is how we bear witness. We must speak about Jesus Christ and all that he has done. Tongues, the Holy Spirit-inspired language, to encourage us, to make us bold and courageous because we know that God can speak through us. Come on. He inspires our language in the prayer closet of our lives, and we leave the prayer closet full of faith and courage to speak up on our campus. Dick Brogdon said this, our folly can, mo- can be most evident when we open our mouths and speak. That is why God intentionally links the infilling of the Holy Spirit with divine control of the tongue. In Scripture, when a man or woman is filled with the Spirit, this had an immediate effect on their tongue. We know God is in control of his vessel when he controls the most unruly member. God's intention for the mouth is not that it should pierce him or others in its folly, but that it should magnify the Lord in fiery praise. Come on. Amen? So why is this important today? Let me assure you that it is way more than speaking in tongues. I don't know what campus you're on, but do you want to know why this is important today? Because if Jesus didn't didn't move forth in his earthly ministry until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you know this, but Acts chapter 10, verse 38, says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Again, as I've already mentioned, think about this. like, it, Why would the Bible record that God anointed God with God. Because Jesus was not only incarnate, not only the one who was going to come and sacrifice for us to have relationship and be restored and to be, be forgiven, but also in the way that he interacted with the Father and the way that he lived out on earth was really another example of what the church should look like. I think it's incredibly interesting that God in his infinite wisdom did not allow his son to start his earthly ministry until the Holy Spirit came down upon him. Jesus, told the early disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Listen, there was a lot of work to be done. Could we agree? Don't go anywhere. Until you've received the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. Why is this important for us today? I think it's important because it was important to Jesus, right? It was important Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Do you realize what Jesus's mission was? To seek and to save that which was lost? He came healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, healing the lepers, and preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know what he asked the disciples to do? Same thing. Do you know what he's asking you to do? The same thing. Now, how many of you, me included, get excited about Matthew chapter 10? Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is like, hey, go out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep, among wolves, how many of you know sheep does not stand any chance against a wolf? You're like, sign me up. I'm in. You know why this is so critical for us today? Is because you and I, in our flesh, can bring nothing. you know we bring nothing to the table the task is great there is more people that are confused depressed discouraged self-harming major mental issues on top of demons running and en- everywhere I don't know if you've ever seen someone who's oppressed by the devil. But apart from the Holy Spirit, you probably don't want to interact with them. Anthony, why are you doing this to scare us? No, to stir some faith. There's a God who is way more powerful. Do you understand that the Holy Spirit in the most powerful demon and Satan himself? they don't compare why do we need the holy spirit because we need to be empowered to see people ripped out of the hell that they're living in the addictions that have gripped them for far too long listen this is a dark day but you know what the light shines brighter in the darkness come on come on we've 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 got to stop sitting in our dorm rooms and get out there and let the Holy Spirit begin to use us to see people ripped out of the hell that they're living in, believing the lies that they're believing. Let me just say this too. If I can argue somebody into the faith, they can be argued out of the faith. But if the Holy Spirit through my life brings conviction, which is his job, not my job, to bring conviction to the people around us, then lives are changed. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. We need this bad. Acts 13, verse 8 says, but Elymas the magician for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Look at the discernment. Paul, in, in his human form, could not do any of that, but with the Spirit of God, he was able to speak and discern what was really happening in the room i'm going to share two stories with you and then I'll close is that okay i'm a minute over where would we be without the holy spirit a couple couple years ago i was out on campus and we were doing some two by two evangelism and there was a young man on a skateboard and this young man, we walked up to him. We started sharing the gospel with him. And he had a wrap on his wrist. And I said, what happened to your wrist? He said, I was in a skateboarding accident while he, and now he's still out there. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. And he, he messed up his wrist, but he also said, I, I messed up my back really bad. And he said, in fact, this morning, my mother put my shoes on my feet because I couldn't bend down and pick them up. And I said, well, hey, can I pray for you? And he says, uh, he says, yeah, I guess. So we pray for him and his wrist and his back are healed. I mean, this morning he couldn't do this. And after we're done praying for him, he could do this. So we share the gospel with him and ask him if he wants to give his life to Jesus. He's like, no. But you know what? That guy skateboard did rode his skateboard on the same street every day, day after day after day, and all of Virginia Tech Chi Alpha began to catch wind of this guy. And we probably had, for two years, three or four guys a week talk to this young man about the Lord Jesus. Just this semester, he's given his life to Jesus. Come on. I want to share that story with you. Why? He had an encounter with God when Jesus healed him. And it planted a seed. But it wasn't until the Holy Spirit brought conviction to the way that he was living his life does the Spirit come to dwell inside of him. Do you follow me? So yes, we need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I was on a... Actually, I'm going to go for two more stories. Okay. I was on a, one of my favorites of all time. I was on an airplane. I was going to see my brother graduate from boot camp, and uh, I'm sitting on this plane fired up for Jesus. I prayed the whole way. I mean, it was just incredible. I'm on the plane and I'm praying for the people that are going to sit next to me. And for some reason, I don't know, this is before, I guess this is a long time ago. So there was no like real system to getting on planes and And so I got on the plane first and I'm sitting on the window seat and there's two seats next to me and I'm praying, God, Lord, just pray for these people that they would come to know you and blah, blah, blah. And then these two girls walk on the plane and they are so loud. Mind you, it's nine o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, not them, Jesus. They like had too much to drink already. And they come and sit next to me. And you know that the key to sitting next to someone on a plane and getting in conversation is the moment they sit down, you got to engage. Otherwise, they pop in their earphones and it's over. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, hey, how's it going? And we start talking. And they ask me that amazing question, what is it that you do? And I said, I teach people about God. And the girl on the end leans over and goes, I hate God. This is going to be an interesting trip. And so I, I honestly, to this day, I cannot remember, but this girl that hates God decided to switch seats with the girl that was in between us. And next thing I know, I'm like up against the window and she's in my face telling me all the reasons why she hates God. And we didn't even pull out. We're still at the gate. And I said, excuse me. I said, do you, do you mind if I just tell you my story and why I believe in God? And then if you want to continue this conversation, we can continue but if not, we can end. And she said, deal. So I start, tearing my, I start sharing my testimony with her. But in the middle of my testimony, this hardly ever happens. I felt very strongly for the Holy Spirit to tell, told me, stop and ask her to pray for her. So I said, can I just pray for you? She says, sure. So I start praying. And while I'm praying for her, I see three letters. S, T. D. STD, and I knew that this girl hated God because she contracted a sexually transmitted disease. I knew, well, how did I know? Because the Holy Spirit told me. And so I just started praying for her healing. And she started weeping. She started weeping, and I told her after I started started praying, and she starts weeping, I know that this is the Holy Spirit, and I don't know if she got healed. I just said to her, listen, your whole life you've been running away from the one God who can actually heal you because you've been blaming him for this. You know, All of a sudden, they get on the, the loudspeaker and say, everybody needs to get off the plane. This flight's been canceled. And I think to myself, what if in that moment I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit and stop sharing my testimony in order to pray for her? And I don't know about you, but life is a whole lot more fun with the Holy Spirit because there's no way for me to know that stuff. But he knows all. Can I share one more story? All right. By the way, tomorrow during your breakouts, if you've been seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you have not yet received. You can come. We'll be in here the whole time there's breakouts. And you can come, and we'd love to pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At Virginia Tech, a couple years ago, they decided to, over the course of a Halloween moment, uh, we just had some really powerful moments uh, on Halloween this, this past year, too, with the Spirit of God just giving us... Such specific things for people, but on this particular one, they allowed people to come in and do um, tarot cards, tarot card readings on our campus. Pray for Virginia Tech, come on, and um, and so we decided that's where we're going. <laughs> so we we went two by two out over to these people standing in line, huge line for this thing, and um. We see these two girls. It was me and this young lady, Hannah, who's now on staff with me. And we go and pray. We go and talk to these two girls. And you know, I just walked up to them and I said, "Hey, how you doing?" I said, "I saw you guys. You know, went over there. What'd you think?" They're like, "That was so crazy, incredible." They shared so many things about our life. I said, "Oh, really?" I said, "You should be really concerned about that. That's really dangerous." She said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, it's demonic." She's like. Demonic, what does that mean? I was like, well, there's demons. And, and so I start telling her about this. I start scaring her. <laughs> she's like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I'm like, no. I was like, could we pray for you? So, so we pull her out of, of this room and we go into the hallway and we pray for her. Friends, we're, we're getting things, very specific things that happened when she was 12, when she's 14, and when she's 18. I mean, things that I cannot make up and guess right if I tried. Are you following me? But the Holy Spirit had her number. Okay, so we're done praying for her. And we said, you know, I do this a lot when I pray for people and there's some specifics. I said, what do you think? And she's like, oh my gosh, that was way more specific than anything they did in there. This is what I said. I said, you know why? Because that's counterfeit. This is real. And she didn't give her life to Jesus that day because her boyfriend was waiting off to the side and called her, right? All I'm saying, I don't know where you're at, but I don't want to be anywhere without the Holy Spirit. I don't know what you're thinking, friends, but let me tell you something. Don't take my word for it. You don't know where you stand today after this? Get in the word of God. And you begin to study the Holy Spirit because we're waiting for a church to be empowered from on high, to rip people out of hell. And there are people longing on your campus, waiting for freedom, waiting for deliverance, waiting for hope. It's time. Jesus, we love you. Would you empower your church that our campuses will never be the same and the things that clinical counseling can do in two, three, four years, the Holy Spirit can do in a moment. And so God, I'm asking God, that you would awaken faith and stir hearts and to be open to all that you have for us. In Jesus's name, amen. Amen. Be blessed.